0: morning, everyone. Um, Welcome to the last talk in our series on Genesis. I looked back, and I think we started this in May. So good going, guys. (laughs) We've been looking at the book of Genesis for a couple of months now. Um, You might have noticed we're not coming all the way to the end of the book of Genesis. We are going to end on chapter 12. This is sort of um, the end of the beginning, I suppose. Um, Yeah, so over the last few months, we've got to know a story that, on the one hand, has been really peppered with division, with jealousy and trouble um, among humans, but also so full of grace and redemption where God gets involved. So as we round that off today, um, let's remember what we've been told earlier in this um, series, that the name Genesis means origin. It's been all about beginnings. Um, We've seen the beginning of the world. We've seen the beginning of humanity. We've seen the new beginning that came with the flood and Noah's Ark. And today I'd like to take you into the beginning of another new story. And it's the story of a man named Abram. So you might know Abram better by another name in the Bible, which is Abraham which is a new name that God went on to give him that comes after the bit that we're going to look at today. Um, But just as a bit of a spoiler alert in Abraham's story, he went on to become a really key figure in the Bible. Um, In the Old Testament, he is the father figure for God's chosen people. Um, In the New Testament, he is held up as like this icon of faithfulness that's an example to all. Now, let's put my notes in the right order. So, God would go on to make a covenant with him that would set the tone for God's relationship with humans that lasts until Jesus and the new covenant. But before any of these amazing things, before Abraham had seen any of this happen, before he was even known as Father Abraham, he started out life just as Abram a man who hadn't done anything that noteworthy yet, who hadn't been recorded in Scripture up until this point. And we meet him for the first time in Genesis chapter 11. So, if you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to Genesis chapter 11, verse 31. We're going to read the end of that chapter into the beginning of chapter 12. So... Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram. And together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. And then moving on to chapter 12. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, He took his wife, Sarai, his nephew, Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, "'To your offspring, I will give this land.' So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Okay. So at first glance, what we've got here is a very simple story. Chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said, go. Chapter 12, verse 4. So Abram went. It couldn't be much more straightforward, or so it seems, is a very simple account. And what you see in that is Abram's obedience. And the brevity of that wording, the fact that not many words are used to tell that story, might lead us to think that this isn't a big deal. But think back over the Genesis stories we've heard in this series, how Adam and Eve disobeyed God by eating the fruit of the one tree they were told was out of bounds, how Cain murdered his brother Abel, how people were so corrupt and so violent that God sent a flood as a way to start over, to start better. So obedience to God is not the pattern that we've seen up until this point. And there's a second complication in this story. Because when God was calling Abraham to go to Canaan, I don't know if you noticed, he was calling him to a journey that the previous generation had actually begun. If you go back to the end of chapter 11 and verse 31, we see that Abraham's father, Terah, was originally the one leading them all to Canaan. But for some reason, they stopped before they got there and they settled in Haran. Now I wonder why they stopped. You know, had the journey been really hard? Was Haran just maybe a very comfortable place to live in where they could have a nice life? Or did they forget the initial vision that they'd set out with? We're not told the answer, but I wonder if this resonates for anyone here today. Do you ever feel like you've stopped a bit short of the vision that God gave you? because we can lose sight of dreams or our calling for so many reasons. It could be opposition, it can be hardship. It can simply be too many things getting in the way. And sometimes God wants to nudge us and remind us of the vision that we've set aside. I just wonder if that might be the case for a few people this morning, that God is reminding you of what he originally called you to do. But to return to our text, what it means here is that that simple command where the Lord said go, so Abram went, starts to look a little different when we realize God calls Abram in the context of his family having tried and given up. And on top of that, we see that there is actually a cost involved. God is really clear about the cost. In chapter 12, verse 1, Abraham is told that he will have to leave a lot behind his homeland, his family, and all the people he already knows who aren't going to come with him. And I think this honesty is really important. It tells us something about God. Because God is not in the habit of tricking people or misrepresenting what he's calling us to You know, he's not like a salesman who is trying to persuade you to follow him by only promoting the positives and keeping quiet about anything that might be a little bit hard. And to underline this point, I'd like to take a moment for a quick quiz. And I'm going to call this the God Doesn't Do False Advertising Quiz, brackets, but people do. Um, So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you, well, I've got three things here that people have tried to sell. Um, Somebody out there might want them, but there are some problems attached to trying to sell them. Um, And the people trying to sell them have, they've used descriptions that only focus on the good side. And they may be hoping that you won't notice any of the negative from the way that they phrase it. Um, I want to know if I read you the descriptions, can you guess what is being sold here? And please shout out if you think you can figure it out so number one in essence it's about simpler living downsizing on space in a creative practical and efficient way that enables you to focus on wellness and sustainability one bedroom a one-bedroom flat that is a really good guess you're on the right lines think smaller <laughs> a bed sit. getting there getting there any other guesses A caravan, garden shed, yes! This is a wooden shed that has been converted as a holiday let. Isn't that brilliant advertising to make you want that? Well done. Okay, next one. Dessert of the day. An intensely caramelised fruit compote encased in a smoky-flavoured flambéed crust. A yoghurt? Not quite. Any other guesses? Creme brulee. creme brulee, oh, that would be nice. It's not a creme brulee. So this is an apple pie that has been burnt to a crisp. <laughs> it's black, and they're trying to make that sound like a good thing. That one's taken from an actual conversation I had with someone who was serving me said dessert. Um, okay, last one, a little bit silly. Number three, a unique pet one that you'll never have to take for walks in the rain sure to be a talking point at parties and with movie fans not a fussy eater grows new teeth constantly so you don't need to worry about dental bills may not be suitable for households with children Hmm? not a spider did you say baby no (laughs) a guess, but no. That's a shark. If anybody wants a pet shark, then there you go. Okay. It's a little bit of silliness, but just to underline the point, because God is not like that. He is not trying to lure us in with offers that sound too good to be true. If God says that something is good, it's because it is good. But he is clear here in this passage with Abram about the cost. And centuries later, we see that Jesus would describe following him as taking up your cross. Again, there's a realism in that, there's an honesty about what it's gonna involve. But alongside the cost, there's also a promise. So here's what Abram can expect. He can expect to be the father of a great nation. This is a really big thing for God to promise, given the circumstances. Because we know from this text that at this point, Abraham is 75 years old and has no children. So to believe in this promise and leave home for it takes a bit more than just optimism. You have to have grasped just how much is possible with God. And another part of the promise says this, I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. So God is going on his side. Well, God is relational. And even as he promises that Abram will be a blessing to others, that he's going to use Abram in this way, he also promises to be with him and help him in that. So, as we know, Abram obeys and he sets up. With his wife sarah and his nephew lot and he goes to canaan in verse 6 we read at that time the canaanites were in the land now the first time i read this i thought well that makes sense the land's called canaan so the people there are called canaanites fine carry on but then, of course, God appears to Abraham, which is another of those small phrases that just massively understates something huge. Like, I have so many questions about this God appeared to Abraham. Like, was there a bright shining light? Were there angels? Like, what happened? We don't know. We just know that God appeared. And in verse 7, he said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So Abram's arrived where God sent him. But there's already plenty of people there. And I do wonder if that was maybe unexpected. But what we see is Abraham doesn't complain. He doesn't sound like he feels shortchanged that coming to a new land isn't going to involve declaring himself king over it. And nor does he resent that the land is going to be given to his descendants rather than to him personally. And he doesn't launch into lament that he may not even live to see this promise fulfilled. So what does he do instead? Did you notice? He builds an altar, both here at the place where God appeared to him and further on in the journey, there are two instances where he builds an altar in this passage. He doesn't wait to see proof of all the promises fulfilled first. He builds altars so that he can worship. And I think that's kind of amazing because the land belongs to someone else right now. And Abram has no children of his own. So who are these offspring that God is talking about who are going to inherit it? And yet he chooses to worship in that in-between place when not everything is settled, and not everything makes sense yet. God has promised so much and Abraham can't yet see all of it. And in that in-between place, he focuses not on what he doesn't yet have, but on the one who is leading him. So what can we take from this? Because I have absolutely no doubt that God wants to bless you and bless others through you. I think that is true for every single one of us here. And if that is an exciting new idea, then ask God to tell you more and see where He leads. Which are the people who are suddenly in your path that you notice and think, I could help them, I could be a blessing in their life. But if you find yourself in more of an in between place today, where you know that God is taking you somewhere, you've heard promises for your life and you do believe them, but it's just hard because you can't see that becoming a reality yet, then please know that you are in really good company. We've seen that in this passage. And like Abraham, one of the best things you can do in that time is make the choice to look up from the questions and the mess. Look up to God and keep on putting your faith in him to lead you through. So I wonder if we could take some time to worship in response to that now. Um, can I ask the band to start coming up? And I'd just like to take a little moment now, just for everybody quietly to reflect on your response. What is God saying to you this morning? And what do you need to do? We're coming to the end of our series on Genesis. Um, And as I was reflecting on what had stood out for me in the weeks that we've spent on this book, it was seeing how time and time again, no matter how badly people get things wrong, God always has the grace to offer us a fresh start and involve us in his plans. And that means that like Abraham, we both get to be blessed and we get to be a blessing. So I'd like to hand back over to the band, if that's okay, to take some time just to worship God. Um, Whatever is in your heart this morning, to talk to him about it and to set your eyes on him.